I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch presents underseen Lovecraft adaptations. These aren't, these aren't Lovecraft adaptations. You know that, right? Fine. Let me do that again. No. no Underseen. <laughs> Underseen Lovecraft indie movies. Sure. Uh, yeah, this is we love to watch for movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of that month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. And it's the end of January. What a winter so far. Uh, possibly. It seems like it's going to be. Uh, we're recording this in November. Uh, so, uh, hopefully we're looking back on this and laughing at how scared, uh, generally we are. Uh, but what are we, what is this? This is, um, our, uh, third Lovecraft month, technically fourth, but it, it, we're doing, uh, Lovecraft and other drugs, which is our chance to revisit some other Lovecraft movies that we've been wanting to talk about. Cause Lovecraft is what brought Peter and me together. And now doing so many Lovecraft movies are going to lead to our divorce. So <laughs> if you heard our last week's episode, we said that we were doing Black Mountainside, which at the time was a movie that I hadn't seen. Uh, and that Peter, uh, it, Peter it won, uh, I think some 2015 Lovecraft film award. Yeah, at the Lovecraft Film Festival, it won uh, best best film. The 2015 one. Uh, yeah. I feel like you're looking it up and you don't know. I know. <laughs> uh, I looked this up two days ago, just confirming. <laughs> okay. Um, it won. No, because I want to know the actual. Yeah, name it the won. Title. Okay, best. It won a best movie. feature. <laughs> best feature. <laughs> so as opposed to best short or whatever, Got best it. feature at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival in 2015. Do you think? It was good enough to win best short. <laughs> I uh, I think. What was the competition that year? I, I don't think it was uh, short enough to win the best short. Probably okay. Um, well. But but uh, I I I like to think that if you have the money for a full length feature, you have the money for the production value for a short, and you're opting to like you know bat above your your weight class a little bit. Uh, I don't know if it's actually better. I imagine it had a bigger budget. Um, more, Possibly more access, more excitement to, behind it. More access to a snow machine. I assume this was actually shot in Aruba, and all the snow had to be made every single day, uh, and <laughs> and all the budget went to that. It is quite impressive, um, based on just that fact alone, which I made up. Um, and There's no business like snow business. So here's the thing: Black Mountain Side. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, Peter, but I think your take on it was like it's underseen. It's interesting. Um, it's not like a five-star movie, but I feel like, you know, as we're talking about Lovecraft movies, it's something I want to dig into and discuss, especially because it, uh, it kind of is taking, uh, some Lovecraftian ideas from your favorite movie of all time, The Thing. Yes, yes, exactly. That's, that's on a T. So, 
The nice thing about doing this month one one more time, uh, and uh, I feel like this is probably a good time to note, um, we're probably not going to do another, lo- another no, Lovecraft we'll, we'll month. We'll do it again. For, I love Lovecraft. We'll just, do like, it again. We're probably shit. not going to do it for a while. Um, this is We're probably not going to do this in the annual thing, because frankly, uh, I've been hunting through uh, movies that have even the hint of cosmic horror. I have Lurker in the Lobby. Uh, as one resource, uh, which is a great little uh, sort of Lovecraft at the cinema um, yeah. resource. Great Even book. when I disagree with their write-ups on the books, it's, like, nice to have somebody to, like, kind of bounce off of. Yeah. Um, and and then there's also, some I never heard of that never come up in Google searches. Like, yes. there's some HBO made for movie about, like, a Lovecraftian inspired, uh, inspired PI that I've been meaning to hunt down. because it Yes, it's got, um, it's got uh, Burt Ward from uh, Tremors in it, I think. Burt um, Ward, who played Robin in the 60s Batman show? Not Burt Ward. What's his name? Burt. <laughs> Holy uh, Lovecraftian monster! <laughs> uh, what's, uh... This is a great, great time to... I don't know. Uh, Fred Ward. Oh, Fred Ward, yeah. Fred I shouldn't Ward. know that. I wasn't trying to be a um, dick, I just honestly didn't know what you were talking about. Yeah, Fred Ward. Whoops. Uh, Burt is a completely different character in Tremors. But yeah, uh, Fred Ward uh, is uh, is the lead in it. It sounds really great. But we're, um, we've been hunting, especially in Spooktober's past, we've been hunting for more cosmic horror movies that I think fit the bill. They have a um, visual expression of cosmic horror themes that I've never seen before and are worth talking about, uh, for a whole episode. Um, and, and, and and honestly, hand over my heart. I I love this genre. I give these movies a lot more credit than they would get outside of the sort of cosmic horror scope. I'm having the damnedest time finding four movies that I'd actually be excited to talk about um, for an entire month. So we're probably going to have to wait a little bit for our research to develop, for Richard Stanley to get his damn uh, Dunwich Horror movie out, all of that. Um, Like, there's, it feels like there's more coming, but I do think, like, you know, we're not, we're not encyclopedic. We're not a comprehensive film podcast almost every month we end up having more ideas than we have room for. When, and that's why a lot of times we do sequel months because there's, you know, we, we have a list of 10 movies or we start doing double months over the summer because it's like, I don't want to pick just four horror remakes. We have a list of, of 15. So let's narrow it down to eight instead of four um, and, and make it a double month. But like the, the, the one thing that a little inside baseball that Peter and I always try to do is at least have like two movies that we're super, super excited to talk about. And then we kind of branch out from there. Maybe we'll do one that we've been interested in, heard good things and never seen. Maybe it's something that um, uh, like this month was really good water. I was really pumped to talk about Colorado Space. It's a fantastic movie. I was really <laughs> pumped to talk about Underwater because it's a fun movie to talk about, even if the movie itself falls short. Um but you need those to kind of prop up, even if you're doing stuff like, you know, Dark Water, which is a movie I loved. But as you heard last week, it's not like something that necessarily it's it's such a visually stunning movie that there it's not like something that we're like, how we're going to talk about this for five hours if if you let yeah. us off the, off the rail. And so that is harder to find. Now, as we recorded those episodes before and during Spooktober of this year, the last three that you've listened to. We did our Spooktober watch, which you probably heard some of the recaps a few months ago. And there's a movie that we both – Peter watched it. He recommended it. And it was one of my easily top five new Spooktober watches. I fucking loved it. And it is a Lovecraftian 
adjacent inspired horror movie. It has a very and and it's called Beach House. As you know, Peter and I were talking about this month, and like Black Mountain Side, I was interested in, but you know, I'm already giving five stars to Beach House over here. We were like, well, maybe we switch and do Beach House because. Uh, because we're excited to talk about that. But then we realized that both of them are relatively simple. And actually, both of them are, I think, structurally a little similar. They have they that are. kind of... They are. They have, especially I watched them both back-to-back in the last two nights. Um, it has that, like, people uh, having a normal, just a normal time, having a normal one, as they say, <laughs> for the first Extremely 30 minutes. One. And then things get weirder, things get weirder. And then uh, the, the kind of... Uh, apocalyptic it reaches apocalyptic stage um until uh everyone literally spoilers for both these movies turn back now if you haven't seen them uh everyone is dead (laughs) which is also fitting with cosmic horror that like there is no uh one hero to uh totally to remove the black gem from the chrysalis stone or there's no one hero to swing his cosmic sword into Nyarlathotep or whatever like this is not about defeating the great evil this is not about defeating Lord Sauron or whatever yeah Uh, this is about contending a horror contending with your absolute minuscule nature within the universe well and that and on top of that it's also a Lovecraftian horror where the threat itself is massive but the uh, monstrosity is almost microscopic which I which I yes. think is very interesting. Which so they ended up being extremely similar, and so and also they they're not very plotty. Like the structure is similar, and there's a lot of stuff to talk about about why we like them, and some cho- so some things that work well in these kind of like tiny budget indie horror movies that don't that don't necessarily have the um, even the like prestige indie of, of and low budget of like an A24 or a Blumhouse or something like that. Neither of them were going to be lengthy episodes as we were debating which one to do. And so we decided to kind of do it as a double episode. Like these are movies that could easily have escaped your grasp as either just a horror fan or uh, a fan of uh, Lovecraftian type movies. Um, and so it made sense just to end the month with talking about both of them. Uh, as kind of a uh, hey, here's a couple you might not have heard of and haven't um, and haven't seen. So that's why we're doing it yeah. as a double. Um, and this is also, I would say, uh, Beach House. We would maybe do as its own episode for the show because I think Beach House is kind of a five star movie. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily do Black Mountain Side in any other horror month. I think Black Mountain Side works in the terms of if you're looking for cosmic horror. That actually extrapolates on cosmic horror, right? Yeah. Black Mountain Side is not a very satisfying movie if you're looking for um, some great evil to defeat, like I was I was hinting at before. It's not a if you're looking for necessarily a, a, a logical uh, attempt to dissect specific, you know, Lovecraft monsters or whatever. Like, yeah. Um, it's not that I think kind that's of true movie. for both of them, right? But both are like we we use Lovecraftian and cosmic pretty interchangeably on the show. We've now done a ton of episodes, and I feel like we've we've kind of um, codified what we mean when we say Lovecraftian and cosmic. So hopefully you've heard that only because I don't want to have to go through the whole thing again. But <laughs> essentially, where these align for us is that idea of not. Th- 
the kind of like um, uncaring nature of the universe as a whole and stumbling on a horror that you can't quite understand. You can't reason with, you can't fix that um, as you try to um, kind of put it in a bucket that you understand. It just ultimately over overtakes you. And, and that's not like Cthulhu mythos. That's just kind of what the Cthulhu mythos like spoke to. So again, our our and lurkers in the lobby is pretty loose too. So our definition of Lovecraftian horror is pretty similar to you know interchangeably with cosmic horror, and we like the idea that it can be a loose adaptation of what that what that means um, without being a direct like uh, influence from Lovecraftian stuff. In the same way that like I think you could say like gothic horror, that's a pretty all encompassing term. There's a lot of things that that mm-hmm. apply to that that may not be directly like an adaptation or a inspiration from an Edgar Allan Poe or a Mary Shelley work or something like that, while still kind of fitting that bill. So we, we yeah. we're a big we're a big tent. We're a big it's tent. Big tent, but it, a big tent, but like it's it's worth every so often like identifying what is kind of outside our bounds, right? Like. Um, just because something has Cthulhu in it doesn't mean even that it's cosmic horror to us or worth talking about within this context, right? Like, um, or just because it's a Lovecraft adaptation, like Castle Freak and um, <laughs> what's the other? There's like three of them, like the the Unbecoming or whatever the fucking. Um, um, I mean, he did the Pit and the Pendulum, but that's a Poe adaptation. That was another High Moon Studios. It's it's uh it's not great. Yeah, I mean, if we were trust me, that book but, is long. If we were just worried about doing Lovecraft directly inspired Lovecraft stuff, uh, it would be a different month, and we'd be yeah. we'd fucking hate Lovecraft by the end of it. Yes, and, and so um, there's there's a couple like Castle Freak, the Unnameable. There's two Unnameable movies. Oh really? Um, uh, both of them are pretty bad. Uh, both unnameable movies are pretty bad. Uh, Castle Freak is a fun is a fun monster movie, but like it doesn't hint at cosmic horror at all, and it's barely an adaptation of Lovecraft. Um, those movies exist. They're they, you know they 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 have their fans, but like I don't want to cover them on the show because they don't really. It feels like they would get in on a technicality um, while they are straight, you know, considered straight adaptations of the work in some sense. Like Randolph Carter is actually the main character of the unnameable. Um, I don't necessarily want to cover it because it's just about a spooky monster in a house. It's more of like if we if we did like a gothic monster movie thing, it would count. And also like the recent Lovecraft Country, like whatever you think about that. I don't think it's very I don't think it's actually cosmic horror at all. Um, It's kind of just. Like magical horror that yeah. takes place in like a weird, a weird, uh, like a weird tales nineteen twenties version. Even though it takes place in the fifties, but um, weird tales nineteen twenties kind of vision of, of of what horror could be. Um, but it's not really cosmic horror. It doesn't. It's not really about like the hopelessness of the exterior universe. It's it just happens to have like you know some shagath in it. Uh, you know, while those literally have mon- that this, both of those literally have monsters that uh, Lovecraft described, we wouldn't really cover them in the show as much because they don't really fit the sort of cosmic horror vibe that we're going for. And while neither of these movies, Black Mountainside or The Beach House, necessarily uh, uh, are direct adaptations of any specific Lovecraftian source or Lovecraft story, they capture the mood, the essence, the cosmic horror that he was writing about better 
than some direct adaptations. So that's why we end up covering these sort of like sort of side johns, because sometimes those side johns are actually far more accurate to the work than the direct adaptations. Uh, we're going we're, we're gonna to talk about them separately. So we're going to do Black Mountain Side, and then we're going to do a musical break. And we're going to talk about Beach House uh, and, and and list our favorite Beach House tracks. Uh, in She's order. a beach. House. Yeah, I, I think the band Beach House made a huge tactical error, error in uh, just performing the Commodore's Brick House, <laughs> Beach House in the title and expecting that to catch on. It's weird because if you listen to their records, like the records are very soulful and thoughtful and capture like a uh, uh, sort of inner essence of what it what it feels to be uh, alive, especially in 2020 where we're kind of stuck in our homes, sort of like uh, an extrapolation of chamber pop, but like sweeping into gothic modes. But the fact that they only play uh, a parody of brick house live and they play it for 60 minutes until everyone leaves the room is ultimately pro- probably a, a f- probably folly on their part you're you're right aaron it's yeah they've never they're like the beatles they never play their songs live anymore but they do but they do have concerts where they <laughs> exclusively play a parody version of the commodore's brick house <laughs> with their own name in it you know they're they're drawing from different inspirations um a lot of like you know uh hip-hop and rap groups that mention their own names and songs uh modern rock like the hold steady that mentions its name in every fucking song um, and I love the Hold Steady, but every every Hold Steady song starts with Hold Steady. We get it, guys. And some songs they like scream it and you're like, yeah, the Hold Steady. And some songs they're like, the Hold sometimes Steady. It's, yeah, and you're sometimes like, it's a command. Sometimes it's it's sing along. It's very confusing sometimes. So I appreciate that uh, Beach House is drawing from a lot of disparate influences <laughs> in order to have a song where they exclusively say their name. Um, I also think it's weird that they don't know any of the other lyrics to <laughs> um, bring others like a where brick house. I mean they under they know the second part of that line. They know they know that we're mighty, mighty just yeah. letting it all hang out. Because at the beach house you gotta put stuff outside. Let it all yeah. let the towels hang out, let your to- let your water toys hang out. Yeah, um, you got a little ducky? Get it out of the house. Get that ducky out. Why so, do you yeah. have the ducky if it's not out of the house? You're at the beach house. We are beach house. house. Uh, Did I just ruin your brain for a while? I think so. Um, <laughs> I think it's broken. I think I just want to listen to that song in my head for a little bit. But instead, we're going to talk about Black Mountain Sight. So, Peter, let's do a really quick rundown. What happens in Black Mountain Side? Awesome. So uh, a bunch of researchers are stationed up in the northern Taiga Cordillera of Canada. This is uh, a a vast and uh, remote location in northern Canada, obviously, Uh, very, very far away from uh, civilization and actually very, very far away from uh, where people ever set up settlements of uh, civilization. In uh, so there's a, a new re- a researcher is brought in to study a, a series of uh, like a a, a, gl- a glyph uh, a sort of um, the base of some sort of large large structure let's say um, they're not actually sure and we never actually get the answer if it's supposed to be a temple or if it's something uh, you know simpler just like a column but it has uh, a language on it that no one could quite decipher. Um, 
And one day, the workers, the indigenous workers that have to hike in 100 miles, um, the First Nations workers that have to hike in 100 miles, they just get fucking like spooked off the site and they just they just wander off in the middle of the night. We actually don't see them wander off, so we don't yeah. know if if they were uh you know the 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 glyph had uh influence on them or if they were just like absolutely fucking not <laughs> and they they bounced. But they wandered off, leaving all these researchers there with this project, this half unearthed uh piece of uh, of communication from a, a far flung civilization. And uh, so they they start they continue their work on it. They uh, the excavation has to kind of come to a halt because they've lost all their workers. People start to go mad within the camp. Uh, notably, our main character uh, loses contact with uh, the the um, ranger station that's supposed to sort of I don't know if they bring in supplies or they're just relaying the message to bring in supplies, um, but their supplies never arrive. Um, the radio just stops communicating, but it seems to be working just fine. No one sabotaged it. Um, yeah, they're convinced that it's the other rate. He's like, the radio works. Something happened at the other location. Yeah. And and that's kind of part of the cosmic horror is that um, they're, they're looking at all the components of the radio. Everything seems to be in order. Uh, you know, why would the ranger station, you know, 100 miles away or whatever, stop working 200 miles away, stop working? Um it's kind of confusing and people start yelling at each other and getting very anxious and, and uh, paranoia starts to set in. Uh, supplies start to get scarce, though. Though the um, It's never really about uh, a sort of Donner Party situation with starvation or anything. Um, it, it, it just starts to reach that point right as uh, men in the camp start mutilating uh, each other, mutilating themselves. And uh, start acting erratic, uh, start acting violent, um, and gradually the camp starts to winnow down from this sort of uh, influence, this cosmic influence of this this stone tablet. And uh, eventually it's down to uh, the two, uh, it's down to uh, the two survivors, um, who is the, the, re- the outside researcher. And sort of the admin radio guy who's supposed to be sort of like <laughs> the radio technical guy, but also supposed to be sort of their like sheriff in a weird way, um, because everyone's like, you were, your, your job is you. Everyone here has seven jobs, which is uh, from checking with my uh, my friends who work in the sciences. It sounds like that's how you make your budget last is that everybody has four or five jobs. Um and uh, this the science crew um, they they come to the realization that they have to bury this tablet and get the fuck out of there. One of them is mortally wounded by one of the crazy people at the end, so he has to stay behind. Uh, and then the the uh, the outside researcher decides to go out and walk the hundred miles to the um, the uh, the First Nations uh, reservation and get to uh, and report back basically that they need help back there and they need supplies and something has gone horribly wrong. And this guy um, has a conversation with a cosmic deity um, and the cosmic deity essentially says, uh, <laughs> were you there when I created the stars? Like he has that that conversation where he's like, why? Why on earth would I waste time? He does uh, the why are you doing this to us? And he's like, I don't care about you. 
Yeah, like, like, I, like this is we're my not influence. we're not operating on the same. Like I don't think of you as anything. Like yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like uh it, it it's it's a uh, it's a Nyarlathotep sort of approach to things, right? Like it's a Nyarlathotep state of mind where he just kind of it just kind of travels from place to place uh, doing my fa- evil. My favorite John Denver album, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of a mouthful, but you know, John Denver was such a, a gifted. Mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he did that right before uh, he did a cover with the Muppets. Yeah. Now we know what 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 brought that plane down. Too much <laughs> cosmic knowledge. <laughs> Definitely was not. Can like we Ed make failure. jokes about John Denver's? Is enough? Is that too soon? I'm pretty sure it's been like 45 years, so I think we're this good. Like, this is like 97. Oh, it's 97. It didn't happen in the 80s. Pretty sure it was the 90s. Or 70s, excuse me? Okay. Well, in that case... Um, <laughs> in that case, uh, uh, yeah, choose... Ni- oh, oh my god, years? 97 on the dot, Peter. Yeah. Well, okay, so 23... I'm starting. I'm, the, the weird thing is that, like, I was thinking we were talking 45 years, and then it was 35 years, and now that we're talking, like, 23 years, I feel a little bad. Yeah, a little bad. A little bad. Not bad, though. It's been 23 years. But, you know, um, don't, don't get that glyph if you want your plane to land. <laughs> exactly so the, the the figure is basically like i i needed to destroy you for vengeance from god like he's not like that he's just like uh, you deserve why why would you deserve understanding which to uh say, saying that to directly to a science researcher is pretty fucking cruel dude like come on yeah. um but uh then the guy just wanders uh after this this interaction just wanders sort of uh broken uh, towards the camp, steps in a bear trap, and his fucking leg is crunched. And we are to assume he does not make it to the reservation because he is still. Uh, <laughs> my guess is he made it like five miles from camp. I think he's still got ninety-five to go. Yeah, it's daylight. But I do, I do like the ironic ending that in the end the cosmic horror um, doesn't bring him down. It's uh, man's hubris of leaving bear traps in a giant white field. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it it it's um it's an interesting ending that's worth exploring, but my my quick take on it is that uh that is na- that is a extrapolation. That's an everyday extrapolation of something cosmic because um why would the uni- you know the the uh, the bear trapper um or you know the 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 shepherd, the herder, whoever put out that bear trap to to catch a bear, um they did they they didn't care what happened to this guy. They just wanted to catch a bear. Like they're they're the though the the machinations had an evil impact on uh, this. Yeah, there was no evil intent. There was no evil intent. It was a neutral intent. It was I need to protect my flock. My and intent it's also is the fo- randomness, right? Because like yes. you're looking at a giant white plane that's just all snow, and at first you're just grasping with the the. How well? Fuck! This is like an impossible walk. Like you don't even really see where he's supposed to be going. And then in that giant amount of space, he hits the one spot that has a bear trap. Yes, yes. And and the movie itself, I actually think one of the things I love about the movie uh, is John Carpenter's The Thing is my favorite movie of all time. But I've gone back and forth over the years on whether or not it's a truly cosmic horror take, um, because uh, you know. In some senses, it's definitely a cosmic horror take because the 
the the the species is fairly unknowable um it's not necessarily evil it never says like my goal is to destroy man uh the fact that it landed I mean, on earth I, was purely it an accident like for brimley it does say i'm fine now which I yeah think is the scariest thing ever <laughs> i'm fine now and he's got the noose hanging i'm like, fine now 18 feet behind out. him yeah. um this feels like this was taking the themes of um, this was taking the themes of uh, the thing and a sort of casual boots on the ground atmosphere. But instead of uh, making it uh, a body horror extravaganza, which they clearly did not have the fucking budget for, John Carpenter didn't even have the budget for the thing. Um, the movie bombed. Um, the You don't usually get the budget depending on how well your movie does, though, Peter. <laughs> I'm saying if the movie cost what Black All Mountain right. Side well, did. Well, now you owe us a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. The, Who released I mean, the Dairy the... Tea? I didn't know. I imagine I imagine if the mob made that movie, yeah. that's how they would react. You owe us $6 million. Also, uh, <laughs> Rob Bowden's going to get whacked. <laughs> oh, Rob Bottin is just sitting in bed, like fucking, like uh, shell shocked from having to work on that production. He's just you like, like cutting off kill limbs. Me, kill, so me, we, kill me, kill me, mom. Uh, boss, I never had someone uh, beg me to whack him. <laughs> I've seen too much. <laughs> so really quickly there's two movies that are basically tapping in this. This uh, there's a million the thing riffs. I watched a lot of them. Uh, this movie and um, the thing remake. I'm oh, sorry, the thing um, prequel, prequel, which prequel. I actually like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is good, but it's mostly just a kind of fun uh, Arctic monster movie. And um, the X Files episode Ice are the only ones that I've actually liked. Um, there is a movie that's sort of a brother to this movie, and it has a similar budget, more higher pedigree because it's directed by Larry Fessenden. Um, whatever pedigree Larry Fessenden gives you. Um, and it's also taps into environmental themes in that this stone tablet, one of the things that helps thaw it was um, global warming thaw. Um, the uh, uh, That there's some sort of evil below the ice and that global warming will unleash it. Um, and it's going to, it's, it, it's, you know, it's, it'll probably be some combo of viral and uh, supernatural. Uh, that's also covered in a Larry Fessenden movie called The Last Winter, um, which if you like Black Mountainside, go check out Last Winter. Tell me I'm wrong. It has a much better cast, I think, than this movie. But I think this is a better movie. <laughs> Yeah, so uh which which character was your favorite? Um mine was definitely the guy with the beard. <laughs> I I love well, I liked I liked the white guy with the beard. Uh but I also liked the black guy with the beard. Um, um actually I think the black guy is the only guy that doesn't have a beard. Oh, he's got a beard. Come no, on. He doesn't. I don't think so. Is this is this like a Stanley from the office thing where no one is sure if Stanley has a mustache or not? <laughs> I am almost positive he doesn't have a beard. Um anyways, the point is that all, all of the people in the movie have uh, Well, I get it. Like you're you're up in you're up in northern Canada. Um so let me get my complaints out of the way with this movie and why I think it's Let's let's quite... knock it out of the way because I think that's actually sort of like uh that those are the caveats that like going into this set your expectations, like here's what you're getting. Here, here's what here's you're what getting. you're not getting. So I get like this is a micro budget movie. 
it like I said, it's not even like an indie indie movie. This is really, and this came out. This was made in 2014, and I, I mentioned that because this this feels more akin to a lot of the truly independent horror movies that you were seeing pop up on like early Netflix instant queue and would find one random DVD at the Hollywood video and go, maybe I should check this out. This looks kind of cool as opposed to kind of the prestige ending horror that followed right after it. It doesn't mean like even beach house, which is a shutter produced movie feels like it has a little bit more of a professional pedigree than, um, than this movie. Now that's not to slag off the writing and the directing or anything like that. Um, the, the directing is actually gorgeous. The locations are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It is an extremely well-directed movie. Uh, where it feels its indie low-budgetness is mostly in the acting. And I, you know, I try not to, like, I. we talked about this in our uh, Die Farber, the Colorado Space German adaptation, too, where it feels like it just wasn't able to, for whatever reason, hire uh, actors that were above like a prestigious community theater level and as such a but lot let me of park there really quickly also we we watch so many horror movies that have a similar budget to this um it's it is yeah. it's a it's a director problem more than an actor problem like it's, these guys these guys are all committed to the scene it's just no one's calibrating them yeah something's off and it, and you're right like i watch a lot of like i've never heard of any of these actors movies and this is this is bad on every level and which which stinks like I it just it feels like they're acting it feels like they they memorize the script the next day it feels like they haven't like figured out like it feels like people are reading lines it feels like if someone's supposed to be angry they're like oh dramatic pause now yes like it's 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 all off and there's really almost no no standouts and it especially shows because like, like the thing, like any cot, like any of that sort of like thing riffs, eventually tensions get high, people start yelling. And when you have a bunch of people like doing the fake Jerry Seinfeld yell, you know, like there's an episode of Jerry, of, of, of Jerry Seinfeld, the show about Jerry Seinfeld, the episode of Seinfeld <laughs> where, where, um, <laughs> I don't know why Sorry. that was so funny. That I also forgot the name the show was Jerry Seinfeld. I also thought the name of the show was Jerry Seinfeld. It's very <laughs> funny to me. I don't know why, um, but, but that broke me. Uh, like you all of a sudden realize, like that show took a while to become a success. It would have never become a success if the name of that show was Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh. Yes, I'm going to watch the show Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> it's like that tweet that we were just talking about. The- <laughs> The oh what a beautiful baby what are you gonna name him Newt Gingrich's mom Newt Gingrich <laughs> it's one of my favorite it's one of my favorite tweets because every time I because it's it's haunted me now every time I see Newt Gingrich's fucking hideous visage his fucking worm like visage he looks like a fucking he looks like a worm's asshole blown up 900% all of a sudden I just think of the tweet and imagine his mom in the delivery room going I'm going to name this baby child Newt Gingrich it also implies that maybe her last name wasn't Gingrich but she's like fuck this kid (laughs) 
I'm giving you. Like, there's no, there's no rule that says he has to have my last name. I can write whatever the fuck I want on this person ever again. Um, <laughs> he looks like a Tremors asshole. <laughs> Uh, no, but, uh, what the fuck was I, oh, it feels like there's that episode of Seinfeld where the joke is that Jerry can't get angry and that no one's ever seen him get angry. And they're like, well, I've yelled before. And Elaine's like, you don't really yell. Your, your voice gets into this comic exaggerated point and he tries to like fake yell by going, I'm very angry. Uh, and the joke is that he doesn't sound angry, right? Which was also just a joke at, like, how bad Jerry Seinfeld, uh, the character, not the television show named after him, uh, was at emoting. And, like, that's what they it feels like They made fun of it here. on Dirty Rock, too. Like, uh, like Liz Lemon starts, I'm crying! <laughs> like, she's, and, and he's like, are you making fun of me? <laughs> uh, that's. That's what it feels like, and that feels especially bad for a movie where the intensity is ramping uh, is ramping up, and people do need those freak out moments. Where, and I don't know if it's the like, and also it doesn't it doesn't really help that they're bad actors and they're bad angry actors and they're bad intense actors, but they also like have Cana- like very deep Canadian accents. So it's like, whoa, what is this a boot? <laughs> yeah, they there's like a there's like a little bit of Canadian twang. Here here's <clears throat> here's my apology for the acting in this movie. One, similar to a found it's not a found footage movie, but similar to a found footage movie, um sometimes I chalk up the awkwardness if it, if a movie is shot a certain way, I chalk up the awkwardness to the awkwardness of everyday interaction. Um and the fact that like if you recorded you having a normal interaction with anybody but a close friend, um, or any anybody but a friend, basically, or anybody that you don't talk to regularly. No, I'm like Patrick Bateman. Everything is very calculated. <laughs> It'd be kind. There'd be little awkward bits in in like y- you being performative. Like I think about that a lot now that yeah. all of my work interactions are over Zoom. That like I put on I put on my project manager voice at times. Oh yeah, and no, Sean and I noticed that a lot, right? Because we're working in the same space, and all of a sudden it's like you know you'll be like. Who left the milk out? Hello, this is Shauna. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we have, we have a friend who's like she's very short, sh- short with people in like a charming way, not in a dickhead yeah. way, but she's very short with people and like she's very like uh, uh, like uh, I don't want to say aggressive, but like very like she'll tell you how she feels immediately. But uh, she'll if she's taking a we were working near each other recently and she was taking a call and and she was just like she's like yeah this guy's a fucking asshole hi hi this is this is megan that's not her name this is megan uh how are you doing today <laughs> um like we all have like a work voice or we have like a or we we get more serious voice we're like this is a big problem but in reality like you're mostly concerned if the me- that the meeting can wrap up uh at 12 30 so you can have 12 30 to 1 to eat lunch like <laughs> um that's my apologia for the movie is that like because the movie is shot sort of naturalistically yeah um, and that the actors are kind of most of the performances are just people kind of hanging out uh in a work vibe uh kind of guys at work vibe yeah no it doesn't feel like perfectly natural but it gives me in an internal sense a little bit more ballast to say yeah, this guy's like it's, this, it's this just, guy's performing. But I, I agree with this you. This guy's saying it, shit too many times in his sentence, right? But yeah. uh, sure, like that's you know, if you're presenting I, a new guy to the camp, you're going to be a little bit more awkward than you would be on your own. So I agree with you because um, it it's when it it's when it modulates up that the the cast can't really hold its own, or like you said, the director didn't 
give them enough takes or give them enough motivation or, or whatever else. Or they just weren't mm. the right people to, to be shouting and panicking. Like, I don't know. But um, because the movie starts at a level that reminds me a lot of, like, uh, Primer, where it's that kind of, like, um, they're scientists and they, they don't have much flair on how they talk. And they're just like, well, this looks kind of interesting. And, like, it's really it's really monotone and almost unengaging as a way to bring engagement. And I like the, um, the outside observer and the main scientist guy, like as they're starting to like debate where this could have, you could have come from. Cause they're like, well, this is a structure. And they're like, well, but how could it be a structure? Radiocarbon dating, you know, it shows it's way too old. Are you, and they're like, well, no, I'm saying it's like, what does he call Paleo Mesozoic or something? Um, um, Mesoamerican versus Meso- Paleo indigenous. Yeah. Yeah. Mesoamerican. And they're like up here, this far North. Like, it was an ice age. No one stayed here. And they're like, well, maybe they moved on. Like, why would they build a permit? Like, it's like it's that kind of, like, just two people who are just kind of talking through stuff. And it has a few of those moments. I really love all those moments. It has a casualness that, like, I recognize from any work environment. Um, but they're also keeping their voice down because there's other people there. And they're just not, you know, they're they're not the most expressive of people. And, like, all that stuff really works. Um, so if like this had stayed that kind of primer type tone where like people just kind of talk calmly for most of the movie, um, I think you had the right cast. It's when it modulates up. It just doesn't, they're just not for whatever reason. It doesn't, it doesn't work well, which kind of, there's a moment where a character is threatening another character and I can't, it like, it almost feels like when you and I are jokingly yelling at each other on the show. Exactly. It's the it's the stuff from the show. And I'll Jerry fucking Seinfeld. kill you, Aaron. Like that kind of thing. I know. There's that part too where like he walks in on him and he's cut off his arm and he's like, "Whoa, whoa, man, what is going on here?" And it's like, dude, he's like, "That's not. Come on." Yeah, I, I I've been in traumatic situations. I know people say stupid shit before. Uh, car accidents, around shootings, stuff yeah. like that. Like. Um, finding out bad news about somebody that's far away, even like, you know, this, the, not an immediate danger. Like I've been in enough traumatic situations to like, uh, recognize like somebody like acting on that yeah. versus like how you actually react, which is like, yes, also often very stupid sounding. You're just like, ah, yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, like you, you, you make, you make weird vocalizations cause you're like trying to talk through the moment, but like, you're yeah, not doing, but, but it, it just but, like, it just doesn't, it doesn't match. It doesn't, it doesn't ring true. That's, I think that's the, it the also like, I was in way too much like high school and college plays and stuff like that. And like, I, you could almost see it on their face. Like, okay, this time really act surprised. <laughs> like yeah. they're, they're almost, it's just, so again, it just, and it, a lot of acting is knowing when to do nothing and when when knowing to like make your your small choices and it feels like the choices are not the choices are being made instinctually and they're not trained actors yeah i think that's right and there are a lot of long takes in this which i like like the conversational takes and i we've spent a little time on it but it is like i think the only thing that's that's keeping it from like being a four plus star movie or whatever you want to say it's 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 a big caveat but it and it matters yeah, it does, especially in what they're trying to do, which is, you know, which we'll talk about in a sec compared to Beach House, where the main actress in that movie is fantastic. It's really good. And the sense of panic that you get is, like, played off of her reaction to uh, her eventually, like, not having anyone to talk to. And a lot of those subtle movements that, like, has a very smart character and a very capable character 
in a situation that is like where she's not panicking, but the situation is getting further and further away from her in a way that um, she can't figure out out, uh, a way out of. Uh, So we'll talk about that more in a second. So actually, Peter, I don't know if you said this. So the idea is like it's something got released, right? And it's it's fundamentally kind of seen as a disease. People are are uh, packing up or throwing up blood. They're hearing voices and stuff like that. And so much so that the God that, uh, uh, that, that he sees at the end that he's talking to about that, he says like, I get it. We've seen you under the microscope. You are like, you are attacking my cells and my brain and I'm seeing things, which is why a lot of people throughout the movie have seen, other characters talk which actually i'm going to put a little pin in that because i want to get right back to a very a fantastic moment in this movie this this what this disease is doing is it's and this like uh, we've we've said from the beginning that lovecraftian doesn't mean tentacles but i like this touch in a in a uh lovecraftian movie in general where the virus or whatever is rummaging through their body there's a doctor on site and he looks under the microscope and he's like you're our cells are turning into octopus cells. And yes. and someone's like, well, like he first, he says it a few more complicated ways. And finally he's like, yeah, okay. I don't know either. I'm just telling you are it's human cells that are on a cellular level turning into cephalopod cells. I can't dumb it down any more than that. Like that's what's happening. Don't ask me to explain it. Yeah, they're they're terraforming our bodies. Um and the movie what's interesting about the movie is that there's a lot of really cool like uh practical gore effects. Yeah. Um cutting like, off people's uh, arms with an axe and yeah. The scene where that guy walks in and the guy that was starting to lose it is just sitting at the table huffing and staring <laughs> out in the distance and he has chopped off his hand and the hand and the knife are still sitting on the table and he's just sitting there huffing. Very creepy image. A little under a little uh you know underhanded by the 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 actor. The guy that walks in, yeah. Yeah. Um uh then uh you know uh, the guy that's supposed to be this this uh, this professor that's supposed to be our sort of like uh, voice of reason, him having a mental freakout and taking the butt of a rifle and smashing an already dead man's skull in uh, because this the 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 man appears to be talking to him. That's a great sequence. Um, yeah. And then there's a final sequence where one character kills a bunch of them in a one shot, um, and that's really great too. Um, there's a lot of practical, we can get back to all that, but like, there's a lot of great practical sort of murders, but like the, the, the movie doesn't necessarily spend much time on, um, body horror or gore compared to what you would think. And it doesn't ever show you a squid monster or whatever, but very early in the movie, they're talking about like, well, how would the natives view this, this great power? Um, and they're seeing some sort of gods on these tablets that they don't show us, which is kind of cool. Um, and then the guy says, yeah, there's some sort of deer God here. And then what, what you just said, Aaron, uh, that you're just attacking the cells in my brain or whatever. I think this thing is some sort of cephalopodic creature, but this guy has decided, this professor has decided in his brain and everyone there has been, has heard deer God. So they're all picturing this, like, um, up this, uh, 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 bipedal uh tall uh deer creature yeah. or maybe the god is taking on the form of this deer creature because like you couldn't possibly imagine what i am this is a structure that in uh, you know uh the indigenous people can understand that you can understand because you know what a fucking deer looks like and that is a cool 
that's a bit of cool bit of uh, like chewy chewy like gummy thing that you can you can really like take to task as like a lovecraftian theme that like maybe this thing doesn't actually look like a deer a decision was made for him to be presented as a deer yeah so i actually i actually view it that the deer is i I actually take him as his word like i take him as like being smart enough to understand the situation that there's no deer god there like that we've we've seen people hallucinate things the it is terraforming their body it's terraforming their brain but what i also believe as part of that is that it is like i guess i guess my take and this isn't explicitly spelled out in the movie so i'm not uh i'm not like planting my flag and saying this is the movie Otherwise, get out of here. Um, <laughs> but what I would say is that it I actually really like the idea of a Lovecrafting god that isn't the kind of like massive Cthulhu because um, a, kind of a, a like virus that's all connected on a micro level that just uh, kind of can attack all these people's brains at once. And we see that we literally see one of my favorite little scenes in the movie is there's two people who are hearing the voice of God and the voice of God is telling both of them to kill the other person. <laughs> like <laughs> there's do it, come on, do it. And then you kind of like realize it's talking, like there's one person hearing one part of what you're hearing and another person hearing another. And they're just kind of staring at each other, trying to both ignore the voices in their head. But I love the idea that it is a, omnipotent omniscient creature that basically exists in in a in a microverse and you realize how like you know like I, 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 if pre-covid i would have thought of another example right but <laughs> it's it's a good example that we all can recognize but like there's tons of other examples of this but you look at like covid as an example of like a virus well if that virus was like um was an was an intentional deity that was trying to uh infest the entire universe like you you recognize how quickly that's able to get out and spread spread throughout the world you know it it went from you know one location to every location on the globe in in two months and then has done nothing but expand among the population there seems to be an entire government group that wants it to proliferate uh in the trump yeah so maybe maybe it is maybe it is some sort of lovecraftian monster they're like let it get its tentacles it's telling me uh so i like that idea like the the idea of why would um like a lovecraftian type god an elder god or whatever an elder thing it doesn't have to like it just has to be unknowable it doesn't have to be a giant cthulhu monster indescribable also meets like this weird uh omnipotent microscopic virus that that terraforms bodies as part of its like desire um not to go back to bloodborne but like odin right odin from bloodborne it was a love it was one of the um elder gods um or old ones or whatever and it's uh it was formless and shapeless and it just kind of spread out um and in that that led to people getting pregnant (laughs) i guess um but like that's 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 straight from Lovecraft. I, I've never really seen that depicted. Like, this is a formless, shapeless virus that is uh, – we're seeing the effect on people by having their, like, cells terraformed and changed. But they never actually, like, see the virus. It's just this formless, formless air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's – um, you know, it's obviously tapping into a few different things, right? Um, it's also just a – Come back to it really quickly. Um, it's supposed to be sort of a global warming metaphor. The idea is that the 
this thaw, this Arctic thaw, um, will will kill us. It's it's uh, releasing um, CO two. It's going to increase uh, greenhouse gas. The um, the greenhouse effect on the Earth. Um, that there's just a, an enormous amount of gas and bacteria and such trapped uh, beneath, uh, you know, from the, the the Ice Age, from before the Ice Age, um, that uh, is now locked in and is becoming unlocked by us thawing um, the Arctic. So there's that, obviously, but like global warming is sort of like a Lovecraftian cosmic horror because like the idea that the small the small actions you take uh, contribute to and pay homage to this great destroyer. Um, it, it is very scary. Um, but the film also is like kind of steps away from that and steps into something a little bit more traditionally horror filled, which is the idea that there's a bacteria, uh, there's some sort of cosmic emanating presence and almost acts like radioactivity in a sense. It's coming off of this thing that's been, been unearthed. Um, and it is now in the in their bodies, and they have no real sense of how to fight it, um, no real sense of how to remove it from their bodies. They just have to kind of push forward. And the, the, the one of my favorite things about this movie is how the the crew sort of tries to push through and treat this as if like this is just a setback to the operation or. It feels like they've all worked crappy jobs before where like there's no there's no guidance anymore or like, all right, well, the company's going to go under, but like my paychecks are still clearing. Like that's kind of the the behavior that we get from a lot of these guys. Um, The doctor seems to be losing it at the fastest rate. Um, But and and, uh, the radio guy, even our our main character, like he's stressed, but he's not like and he's like, I'm going to go. We're going to go check out and see if we can find where the. The uh, indigenous folks um, uh, went off to, but you know he's doing his work. But he's also like, yeah, I mean, eventually help will come. Like help yeah. has to come. Like they're they're all relying on a status quo that they don't realize has been ripped out from underneath them. Yeah, and the last thing I guess I'll say, and then we can move on to the other movie, mm-hmm. is uh, one my favorite little moment is there's a part where the outside scientist walks in and our main character scientist has smashed someone's face in and he only sees the after effect of that right he's like how could you do this and he's like i i needed to he needed me to and he's like can barely kind of like get it out and you feel like he's grasping at straws straws trying to explain what happened and you're and like as a movie goer as someone who we've watched this guy for most of the movie you're kind of like, oh, fuck, he must have finally snapped off screen. He must have finally succumbed to the voice and everything else. And then the perspective kind of switches to our outside scientist as the main protagonist for the last 25 minutes of the movie. Well, he ends up in the morgue talking to the doctor. Doctor leaves, and all of a sudden we see this the, the corpse of someone else start talking to him about how um, he needs him to kill him and... Um, he, he, you know, and I, and if you don't kill me, I'm going to kill everyone you love and, you know, do blah, blah, blah. And he starts smashing his head in. And in the moment as a, as a film watcher, you're like, you're not thinking of anything, but like, of like, yeah, dude, you got to fucking smash that head. It's toxic. <laughs> like smash that head. Like, and we've seen this guy be relatively sane for the entire movie. He hasn't been affected like a few of our other people that we've watched. And the doctor walks back into him just fucking 
destroying this guy's head with a hammer or whatever it is. No, with the butt of a it's with the butt of a rifle. Butt of a rifle adds to the adds to the doctor's terror because as yeah. soon as the doctor walks in, he's got the a guy, rifle. The guy reacts. The guy reacts like uh, like Jeff Tubin. He's just like, oh, you. Oh, you, you saw me doing the thing. I know. I look crazy. January. I know. I look crazy. And as he spits out explanations, it sounds exactly like the explanations that we heard twenty minutes ago, where you 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 understand as a film watcher a little more of why he did that, but you also recognize that him going it told me I had to do it was going to hurt us. Like it sounds as disconnected from reality. As what we just heard, where we were kind of not on his side. We were like, oh, yeah, he's disconnected. He snapped. Get him the fuck out of here. As we're like, this guy, because now we're, we see that all play out, you're a little bit like, well, yeah. I mean, he that was a rational thing in an irrational reality he's yeah. living in. Um, and I really like that. That's a good flip to kind of show to, to show something that pushes you away from a character and then show the same thing. Of what happened right before you as the audience walked into the room and uh, let you kind of empathize with what's going on and have a moment of recognition of like, oh, maybe I judged him a little quickly. Yeah, yeah. And and um, it's sort of playing at the paranoia of the thing, but it's not playing in the same sort of late 70s, early 80s uh, space. That's it, that sort of invasion of the body snatchers space where you're like not tr- sure if you can trust each other. It's actually playing in a far more nebulous sort of drifty dreamlike space that like is how and moment to moment verisimilitude, right? That sort of way like in your life where you're like, is this fucked up? This is really fucked. But yeah. is this more fucked up than the fucked up shit I'm already dealing with? Like the the again. God, when you have a job to do and that job is very fucking important and you're just like well all he did was bash in a head on a dead body and then he gave me the gun back and he seemed pretty reasonable after I kind of shook him awake <laughs> uh, maybe we just have to move on from here like that that is what I think is the strength of the movie is because it's shot in such a way that it sort of captures that that sort of craziness of everyday life versimilitude that um we we all go through that like something crazy happens and you try and like revert back to like business as usual this the the radio guy who thinks like well they're gonna come back in they're gonna bring in a helicopter you know maybe i'll go i'll go chase down the 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 workers we'll go see where they're where they're at um but like that sort of uh, attempt to return to every day when the everyday is not attainable is very relatable and very scary i think um, yeah, and I think the movie can be very scary. I think with the one thing we need to talk about before we we move on, <clears throat> just as a horror movie, right? Um, is the there's a final sequence where there's I don't know four or five guys left. Um, let's say six guys left, and one of them who's been sort of threatening one of the guys. He has one of the guns. Um, he has been. Um, uh, no one is no one everyone's afraid to go take the gun away from him but they're sort of like we have bigger fish to fry like i was talking about and they sort of ignore the problem ignore the problem and then what happens is the guy who has the gun has been so thoroughly convinced by the voice the voice do you see open your eyes um that he needs to go kill a bunch of these guys yeah and then there's a one shot take of him Going from room to room in one house and then room to room in the next house with a bolt action, very simple hunting rifle um, 
where he has to like load in individual shells between each action, uh, essentially murdering, murdering his fellow, you know, the last remaining guys. And he has to be shot down by a radio guy. Uh, and the radio guy hits him once and then the radio guy gets hit once and then they, ha- and then he has to finish him off. And like, it's, it's so believable and scary. And you can tell they did a bunch of takes because they knew that this is the sequence that needed to land. Otherwise it wouldn't quite work as like a, a tactile horror experience. Um, and that sequence is great and made me want to like check out the next movie by the filmmaker. Cause I was like, maybe, maybe he has a better grasp of, of actors. Um, but like yeah. he clearly has a visual. Yeah. It's, style. it is well directed. Like all the shots are really well done. Um, it, it has some great like staging of the, you know, the icy snow waste and the way it kind of shows the monument and the, how much space they have. And I mean, obviously they weren't really doing this in a remote cabin. So the way they use the mountains and the locations, I mean, it all looks great. Yeah. Once you get to that sequence, the slaughter sequence, um, the mass shooting sequence, um, I, that, at that point, I'm like, no, it's not just that mountains are yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's really like, it's, it's, it's well-directed. It has a, a very specific tone. It's got great ideas. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it, it needs a couple things to really put it over the plate as a movie I would watch over and over or would recommend to people without caveats. But if you're looking for like, a, um, and also like I, I say thing rift, it's a thing rift in that it's a bunch of bearded dudes in a isolated in, in a wintry place like there's not a lot of like i we talked about the x-files ice where it's or even like sea fever and a lot of other stuff this there there's not really a lot of like people going around going um i just saw you do something there is that a little bit with a yes. cat but Mostly, it's just a bunch of people losing their fucking minds after they're isolated. It's it's actually it does capture much- a similar thing where it's like guys at a workplace. Like guys these guys are all just kind of living at their workplace. They're drinking. They're hanging out. Like it does capture that, which it I does. think is 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 really like something that is not really believable in a lot of thing riffs. And a lot of thing riffs, I'm like. Yeah, I don't believe you guys have spent even five minutes here. But in this one, I'm like, oh, I, I, I get the sense that they actually, like, slept in these cabins. Yeah, it's just it, – it's an easy thing to pull from because it has, like, some superficial similarities. But it's almost more of, like, a, a, a workplace shining <laughs> than it is a, than it is a, a, a thing riff. But Peter, let's transition and we can do some general final thoughts on these movies at the end. Do you want to talk about She's a Beach? House. She's mighty, mighty. Just She's getting turned into a clam. <laughs> yes, I do. man 
off your tagline. Peter, are you ready to listen to me do the recap for <laughs> Beach House? <laughs> Did you just pick up a box on the floor at Christmas Day and go, oh, this is a present from me to me? Peter, are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, Aaron, I'm ready for to do the thing that you just introduced yourself Peter. doing the thing. <laughs> I'm trying to do I, I I wish I could do I there's a lot of like uh audio effects that go into the voice in Black Mountain side so I can yeah. like do an approximation of it on the microphone but what I'm trying to do is like Peter get ready to listen to Aaron do the, the recap <laughs> Do you hear Do you hear my recap of the beach It's a beach house She's spooky, spooky. She's spooky, spooky. Just letting <laughs> you hear the recap. Yeah, so the beach house is about Emily and Randall, and they go to Randall's dad's beach house, and they've been having some trouble. They're both about college age. They have some trouble in, in their relationship, and Randall's like, just come hang out at the beach house. Emily uh, wants to be an organic, or she's going to school to be an organic chemist. And Randall, as we learn, has dropped out of school and it's just like, just can't really find what college is for, which is, you know, both are both are acceptable routes. Like some people go to college and they just feel like it's not their time to do this. And they and as and as such, decide to go another way. But Emily wants to go to grad school. And obviously a relationship that's been in place for a long time is about to kind of part ways. And at first, they're just happy to reconnect and hang out in a beautiful location right on the beach. And then eventually, they kind of start talking about that, uh, what what all that means for the future of their relationship. Um, but as they're all about to go out to the beach, all of a sudden, Jane and Mitch show up, which are a middle-aged couple that at first, it's a very awkward, scary, what who's in the wrong house situation. And then they realize that Mitch is an old friend of Randall's dad. And they he remembers them. They remember going to this house and that... Randall's dad, who he didn't tell was going, he didn't tell his dad that he's going to the beach house, but uh, Mitch had, uh, Mitch had, had had talked to his dad about going to the beach house, uh, and as such, uh, his dad didn't say anything about it because he didn't know, because Randall didn't communicate, and that's why, at the end of the day, if you watch this movie, the lesson is, communication is the most important part of a beach house situation. <laughs> Similar to the beginning of uh, The Evil Dead, or uh, Evil Dead, the remake, where you think like, oh shit, is this going to be like a redneck horror movie? Um, this movie leads you to believe it's going to be some sort of home invasion thriller or something at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, well, it, and then so- it completely veers the opposite direction because Jane, uh, Jane and Mitch are very nice people. They're very nice people, but they also have, like, there's something going on. There's a reason they're at this beach house, and there's a lot of hints towards the fact that Jane is sick potentially terminally she takes a lot of medication to kind of keep her functioning and um part of the reason that mitch is taking her to this beach house is to have uh one he kind of at one point basically says like one more nice time at a beautiful location where she doesn't have to think about what's going on in her body and he says this house is always the same like the furniture is always the same like he, he says essentially like like We've been coming here for a long yeah. time, like with and without your parents, and like the like it, it, it's comforting for us. Yeah, and we wanted to do that one more time. So there's there's the implication, and and um and Emily and Randall figure that out too, and they never like say anything because they're just like, okay, well, you're not cheering, we're not gonna ask. Uh, 
so they have a dinner together, and at the dinner they have a couple glasses of wine, and they have like the worst nightmare of people that didn't plan to, to drink as much as they did, which is the recognition they're out of booze. <laughs> and no one is yeah, no one has yeah. an ability to get more booze. Yeah, because they packed they packed wine for um uh two old people two two an old couple that is not expecting company, which is uh, when Molly and I are not with other people, uh, the amount of booze we pack is fairly small, um, a six pack of beer or whatever. Uh, but when we have uh, people coming over, it's like, well, we're going to be up later, you know, the whole deal. Uh, so the true. Yeah, you're right. The true nightmare is realizing you're in a social situation a that you weren't planning for a but they adjust to that. Or, or yeah, just a situation where you decide you want more booze and you don't have enough booze to make yourself comfortable during that. Uh, Anyways, but yeah, you don't want to run out of booze, especially when we're with um, with an old couple. So they end up uh, they end up uh, having some edibles, which Randall uh, brought, and they're still just you know talking about music, having a nice conversation. And then it kind of gets weird. Um, uh, Jane wanders outside. They kind of see all these glowy lights uh, at first. They're like, oh, it's just kind of beautiful. Look at that weird reflecting stuff. And Emily, who's the organic scientist, is like, yeah, I'm not sure what that is. That is a little odd. But then later on, there's like a whole forest and everyone's kind of passing out. And there's the water starts looking weird out of the sink. It looks like there's a galaxy of like gunk inside and stuff like that and eventually every, uh, there's all this fog that starts surrounding the house as well that no one knows where it came from um and also like things just get a little bit more sinister in a way that's hard to put your finger on it does have that sense of like when you're drinking around people that you don't know all that well and all of a sudden or like i guess doing edibles or anything else and all of a sudden they get a little more intense and weird than you were expecting um because that does happen like they're, they're kind of like trying to play it off because they're like, well, they're just old people that can't handle their shit. But it does still have this sense of like, oh, is this going to get super fucking awkward and weird? Uh, which is another kind of horror. I think before the real horror comes, this movie gets what it's like running out of booze or having too much booze with people you don't know that well. So the next morning, uh, all of a sudden, Jane is like staring outside and like she just looks haggard and rough. And... Uh, Randall and Emily are like, oh, we're kind of hungover. Let's just go to the beach. No one knows where Mitch is. Uh, and the whole thing is just awkward. So they go to the beach. When they're on the beach, all of a sudden Randall's like, oh, my stomach hurts so bad. He runs inside. Um, and Mitch shows up on the beach and is like, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, take Jane here one last time. And then he just walks into the fucking ocean. <laughs> um, and uh, also there's a weird squid slug thing on the beach that kind of gets into uh, Emily's ankle. So she runs back into the house. She pulls it out. She bandages that up. Uh, Jane is now like crawling to kind of attack Randall, who's basically passed out. Her eyes are like milky white. Um, it seems like she has almost a, like a weight on her back. Uh, I think I missed the part where all of a sudden, uh, so before she runs out of the beach, she looks on the beach again after she kind of gets attacked by the slug and notice like these person size. I don't know what we, what would you call them? Cl- they're not clams. These they're like pers- horseshoe, cr- horseshoe crabs. Horseshoe. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. They're horseshoe they're almost, polyps. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but they are like lining the beach everywhere. So they kind of like leave the house. All of a sudden the fog comes back. 
Uh, Randall's not doing well. Uh, Emily's trying to take him to safe place. She gets into a car that has a um, a two way radio, and there's someone there that's like, "Go inside the house. Stay calm. Don't leave your house." And and she's like, "What's causing it? Is it the fog?" And this person's like, "It's not fog." And so she goes into the house. She hears the emergency broadcast system, and it's basically um, turns on the radio, and notices that like the Oceanic Society is uh basically saying that something got released some sort of microbes that are basically causing an apocalypse and to do whatever you can um as they go through a couple houses there's like a, a person who's been completely deformed and is eating another person you don't know if it's a person or like hatched because later on after randall basically dies and succumbs you almost get the sense that like this is the sense that i got peter maybe we can drill down more as i get to the end here that these like there's like a humanoid type thing that's hatching out of them and then feeding on them um they're almost like top half humanoid alien monster bottom half manta ray when they get kind of infected they start all walking with a hunch or it feels like gravity is fighting them because they're all kind of like bent over and then eventually it feels like something hatches out of them and feeds on them it's it's really good like it's a lot of like little bits nothing's really laid out you have like there really is like a mass within you that causes weight and uh, eventually like then bursts out that's like half human half manta ray and feeds on you i um it does not like being disturbed during that feeding anyways uh, Emily tries to escape in a car. She crashes it. She uh, succumbs to kind of the the mist itself, which kind of gives this crazy trippy like 3D slash uh, superimposing of ocean effect. And then she wakes up on the beach. Her eyes are milky white. And she tells herself, don't be scared. Don't be scared until she disappears. from frame. And it, yeah, it's fantastic. That probably sounded fantastic to you because that fucking rules everything I just said. And let me tell you, if that sounded fantastic to you. You're right. Uh, if this was something that appeals to you, that's because you're a smart and capable smart individual. Person. I did just ruin the whole movie, but I think it probably still works because it's great. Um, yeah, I, I think that was a pretty good rundown because, like, <clears throat> the, the 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 initial part of the movie does not actually hint much at where we're heading. It's only once they start uh, the whole group starts um, getting high on the edibles that uh we come to the realization that like something grander something more cosmic is happening so let's just let's just jump into that so um our protagonist what's her name emily i said emily 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 okay cool i was i was gonna say kelly but um emily so our protagonist emily she starts having this uh very important conversation about the origins of life on earth but yes when it first starts it actually comes from a conver a place that anybody who has been high um ever could (laughs) could uh understand which is you start talking about uh big topics you don't talk about your job. You don't talk about some asshole who, uh, you know, constantly is condescending to you at work. You, you immediately start jumping to like, there were dinosaurs like right there, man. Like you immediately jump to that level. And they're yeah. talking about the origins of life on Earth. Um, and there was an extra and, and uh, her, her she's sort of um, she's not positing a theory. She's sort of sharing a theory the way scientists do um, or people that are studying the science sciences do, um, which is that um, all extraterrestrial 
Oh, sorry, all uh, terrestrial life on Earth might have come from an extraterrestrial source. That uh, there was uh, w- w- there was this s- sort of boiling soup of a, of an existence, um, and then something, an outside element, came in, um, found, uh, landed in, in in the oceans in some manner, and then. Um, replicated itself on a scale, a massive scale, um, and then eventually microbes formed and yada yada yada. We eventually yeah. crawled out of uh, crawled out of the the sea. Um, and like just real two quick notes there. Uh, we're recording this in uh, November. We're at three quick notes actually. We're recording this in November. <laughs> Note number one: I watched this movie last month for Spooktober, and I was like, Aaron, please, please watch it. Please watch it right now. Uh, I did. Daddy, Daddy, please watch it. Uh, and then he did, and he was like, "Well, we, this needs to fit our Lovecraft month right yeah. now." And then we basically fit it into the month immediately because I was like, "This is one of the best extrapolations of cosmic horror I've seen yeah. in a long time." And also, I so we are to get more specific. We're recording this on November twelfth. Since Spooktober ended, which, as you may remember, I watched one hundred two movies. I've watched two movies. They are Black Mountain Side and a rewatch of The Beach House. And I loved watching The Beach House again. Like, it definitely was one of those immediate, like, oh, this is going to be something I'm going to watch. This is something I'm going to talk about. Um, yeah. I, I, once, as soon as I finished it, I was like, I was like, this is Aaron and my shit. So uh, during Spooktober, I had a friend who doesn't really like horror movies, but she was like, well, what is your, like, what kind of horror movies do you like? Do you like slashers? Do you like ghost movies? Like, whatever. You're like, have uh, you seen Martyrs? <laughs> it was kind of hard to explain. And she she's uh, she works in the sciences, but it was kind of hard to explain. But I was like, my favorite type is cosmic horror. And she's like, what does that mean? And I was like, um, but that she was basically, and, and she was like, well, what does that mean? And this movie, I think, kind of extrapolates what cosmic horror is better than any movie that we've talked about so far, which is that something external to the earth comes in and its cosmic influence is like immediately felt. And while we can like try and understand it, even smart people, scientists like in black mountainside or in the beach house is studying scientists, someone who wants to, she's going to be, she would be a scientist someday if an apocalyptic event didn't happen. They, they are trying to understand it. They have, they actually have a decent understanding of, of what we already know about the, the known universe. And even they can't quite fit this, this, this cosmic presence, this cosmic influence into our understanding of the universe. Um, and so they're trying to find like a way to couch all this stuff. And it's kind of fun because in 2018, uh, a piece of, um, extraterrestrial rock landed on a frozen lake in the Midwest. I think it was in Michigan. Uh, and they just recently, like last week, uh, the reason I mentioned November, like last week found out that it has organic material in it, which might basically be further evidence to the theory she's backing up uh, that uh, Emily is, uh, not Emily. Is Emily your name? Emily, there we go. Um, Emily is backing up in the film. Um, that like one of these pieces of, of rock landed in, in, you know, this, this soup of a universe. And yeah. then all of a sudden, um, you know, microbes started to form and like, we might've been seeded by an, uh, an outside species. And, uh, 
there's also the concept of extremophiles that not that, that, that there's uh, species that don't necessarily uh, survive in the same um, environments that we do, yeah. um, which we I think we talked about a little bit in underwater. Yeah, that idea of that, like they they drink surge and do uh, cool kickflips. If they don't do an, a set number of kickflips per hour, uh, they turn into sort of like a black goo and, and dissolve. Like, um, that's when hold on, hold on, pass is. the microscope. Is this uh, is this organism doing microscopic kickflips? Wait, Juan, can you pass the the microscope with a big Civil War horn <laughs> attached to it? Is this microbe listening to the offspring? <laughs> Um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> said, uh, Micro says it's got a bad habit of replicating. <laughs> um, and also recently, um, again, the November thing, they just found out that there might be microbial species in the Venus atmosphere. The idea that, like, we are not the, 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 um, we are not the necessarily the only form of of, uh, of life in the universe is is uh, obvious, but the idea that like we're not even like the only um, template for life uh, is now even being further shattered. Um, and, yeah, and, so, and that's something a lot of like very smart astrophysicists, yes. astrobiologists will say that like we also understand that we have a general bias for what life looks like. So when we say that we're looking for life, what most scientists have meant is that we're looking for life that like looks and acts like us. That's like has the same building blocks that require certain things. So it's why you hear scientists say like we're looking for water because water means there's life. And what we've discovered on our own planet, let alone on the universe, is that um, that like that is an inherently like human biased way of looking at life. And there's a lot of things that meet the requirements of life that don't match our template that we're looking for. And so it is also true that that kind of like expansion of the template, expansion of the concept of what life is or how life can be is relatively recent. Like science has been around for a long time. That kind of like extremophile studying is like, you know. 20, 30, 40 years old. So it is a kind of a new science. And as they've started... James Cameron discovered extremophiles. No other scientist did. thought of it before James Cameron. He, No one thought of it. And everyone's like, Cameron, <laughs> you motherfucker. You are like, you're a brilliant scientist. You're a great husband. A great dirty filmmaker. dog. <laughs> uh, that guy is a great husband to one specific person. From what I understand, his current wife. Not the other five. <laughs> before. <laughs> Five or six or seven uh, I, or whatever. All of, all of us that were alive during the Avatar uh, um, Hurt Locker year at the Academy Awards, was that 2007? 2009. 2009. Um, all of us that were alive during that year uh, have the deep understanding that, that, she, that like, uh, we, we do not need to make James Cameron hang out with his ex-wives. No. Uh, but the reason I say it's a good relationship, I mean, did you ever see, like, Ghosts of the Abyss or Aliens of the Deep? Hmm. Where he's like, one of I'm the two, make and a I do not know which now. one. I am a submersible man. Um, that the, those documentaries. Uh, one of the two. Um, okay. One of the two was on a DVD of one of his movies. Uh, maybe The Abyss or, or yeah, Avatar. Probably True one Lies. Yeah, True Lies. <laughs> <laughs> With every copy of True Lies, one Ghost of the Abyss, three D. <laughs> 
back now. Um, but uh, I forget which one it is. But there's like an interview with his uh, current and and why in the one he's been married to for like the last whatever it is, fifteen twenty years. And and it's so funny because she's like, yeah, James just has to go do what James has to do. And, like, you kind of recognize, like, a, oh, well, he has found his soulmate, and that's someone that doesn't mind, who's like, I'm going to go be in a submersible for, like, a few months. I'll see you later. And she's like, sure. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> um, and maybe that's what he needed to find true love, someone that didn't mind if he was going to get himself killed building his own submarine uh, to make an IPAX movie that'll gross $1 million. Um <laughs> What the fuck were we talking about before this? Oh, extreme, yeah, just so James Cameron discovered Extreme Files, but it is relatively new. And one thing, just to, to put a button on that conversation, as we found when we first identified Extreme Files and recognized, like, oh, are there are there life forms living in this lava? Um, then we started recognizing them everywhere, right? So that idea that there's also other forms of life that we haven't quite cracked once you see it you see it everywhere it's the old adage of uh selective observation or like when you buy a 2005 red toyota corolla all of a sudden you walk around going holy shit there's a lot of red 2005 toyota corollas driving around (laughs) um same thing with discovering new types of life yeah um i would love to discover a new type of uh blue toyota corolla but i'll tell you you what get it you get a blue Toyota Corolla, you're going to notice blue Toyota Corollas everywhere. All over the place. That's what they say. Um, but that, I, I think that's a good place to start, though, is like there's actually like a start. scientific basis for. Um, no, not the Corolla part. Everything we said before, the James Cameron and Corolla part um, is is that it's a, it's probably a smart place to start is that talking about the that there's an actual scientific backing uh, behind this idea that not only is um possibly all life on this planet extraterrestrial um but that um that that uh our our environment and that uh how uh how microbes exist in our present day has a sort of alien touch to it so <clears throat> a thing that happens in um on the west coast uh especially in southern california we we get a lot of like coverage on it um is this thing called uh the red tides um, so there's this, uh, bioloom thing. So at one point in the movie, uh, the Turners as well as Randall and Emily go out and they look at the, um, the bioloom and there's some, the microbes have moved out of the water and into the trees. And she's like, this isn't normal. It's usually just in the water. They usually can't survive there. That's sort of her, her sort of scientific and also high understanding. She's like, you know, it's not normal. Something something is going on here i think is really telling uh for for what what is going on for the rest of the movie that she's like i recognize this just not with this application so like i i yeah. uh i uh, the red tides is something that happens every year these microbes respond to uh movement um and these microbes in the water respond to movement and they um they they glow blue essentially. I don't totally understand why it's called red tide, but they glow blue um, in response to activity. So you, we put we all put on wetsuits at night and went in the water. You could like wave your hands around, and we, your finger trails will be like uh, avatar. Like they'll glow blue. Um, have you ever Did been you near watch, a bioluminescence? Quick question: Did you watch Avatar recently? 
<laughs> Eleven years ago. Can't you can't get out of your mind though, can you? Listen, everyone insisting that Avatar is not a memorable film has made the movie memorable now for me. My brain is very stubborn. You remember what The Rock is called, right? Uh, unobtainium. Yeah, because they can't obtainium it. Do they can't obtain obtainium? <laughs> It. it. Uh, have you ever seen bioluminescence in in real life? Like I have, I don't think I have actually, and now it's bumming me out a little, Peter. So this year I was very lucky, um, in in a few different ways. But I got to see Bioloom twice. Um, I got to see it uh, when I went to New Zealand. There's a uh, glowworm caves, which are really cool. Um, and Do they fireflies basically... count? What's there? Do fireflies count? I think so. Okay, well then I've seen that a bunch. Yeah, Fireflies rule. I mean, yeah. the Owl City song sucks, but like oh, Fireflies rule. Not when you combine it with some Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> Everyone check out Mouth Dreams on SoundCloud. Uh, that's as good a song as any to end this episode. Um, but uh, Bioloom is, is is something that kind of breaks your brain a little bit when you see it. You're like, how Can we how talk about t- how you're abbreviating it? Like, is that what the cool scientists say? They call Bioloom? That's what my friend Nick. Shout out to my friend Nick. Who's a I really like Nick. He's a great guy. He's a good dude. That, that sounds a, that sounds such like a Nick thing to do, to be honest. So I'm not like a scientist, so like I feel a little bit like a poser saying it. I also you feel like should. a poser with like my 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 uh my cool skateboard that I can't do any fucking tricks on. But like, oh, you can't do a um, Nick is such a cool guy. He doesn't make fun of me for saying bioloom. He doesn't make fun of me for not being able to do any tricks on my skateboard. Can Nick do tricks on your skateboard? <laughs> He's a surfer. I imagine he can do a fucking God. ollie. God, that guy's so cool. At a minimum. He can do tricks. He can do tricks on a surfboard. He's so, he's so cool and hot. Calls it by a loom. He's so cool and hot. <laughs> does Nick listen? Yeah, he does. He's going li- to listen to this one. This is, this is, a, this this is a, where it gets weird. <laughs> this, is the, but, this is the episode where the six feet of social distancing becomes permanent. <laughs> <laughs> six feet? More like... 600 feet restraining order six centimeters (laughs) negative six feet Um, (laughs) uh but the 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 bioloom effect this red tide effect is is i like that you stuck with it through that yeah (laughs) like i'm not i'm not i'm not changing yeah um it is it is very startling it's very like it's very cool and i like the idea that they use that as a basis uh also just a real quick note uh whenever the red tide happens here this is something that people don't talk about in the news um the whole town stinks like death for like a day or two um just you just close your windows when that happens because the whole because all of those microbes they like on uh, on mass die um which means that all the ocean smells like stinky poo poo farts uh for for a period of time uh, that happens wanna... here when it's windy in the way that where all the shit farm the cow shit farms are god Every, everywhere everyone needs to smell a little bit like death i, I think just gotta remind you like hey this yeah. is what you're gonna smell like someday <laughs> so there's a moment when the white the 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 wife jane wanders into the bioloom forest um which very much uh brings me to the next point which is this movie feels like a strange cousin to uh, Color Out of Space, um, where it's it's very much about like uh, in a, uh, a a family or a group of people um, 
having to contend with this like outside invading force and it's it's actually causing their like brain chemistry to melt down a little bit and like yeah. their 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 like sense of protectiveness excuse me their sense of protectiveness for their their social group uh, is uh <laughs> becoming all topsy turvy um and the the wife wandering in the forest and then the husband like realizing way too late like I should go come after her. And then they both come out of that. Extremely weird. Yeah. Um, That is extremely clever out of space. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a movie about two young people and their companions uh, that go missing. (laughs) This is funny at all to you. (laughs) They're two young companions, of course. Well, they're two young people and then also their companions. Yeah. So... I'm mostly concerned about the young people, but I also hope the companions but make it equally home. concerning. The companions go missing too. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm in this case I'm, they are not the same age as the young people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the I, I really like the way that like it starts out with alien horror of just different different kind and. Like, the idea of, like, oh, here's people we don't know, right? That's, like, an element of, like, we're going to share a meal with them. We're going to share drinks with them. We don't know their deal. Like, Randall has some vague memories of Mitch from being a kid. Uh, Everything just seems a little off at how, like, no, 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 just stay, hang out. Like, you almost think, like, they're going to ask to fuck or something like that at some point. But it stays generally chill until... um, uh, people have too much or whatever and uh, but on the same note like it is just like a bunch of weirdness that you are trying to like dismiss and that that is such a big part of like Lovecraft horror is that idea of how much can you pretend is not there until you are forced to basically reckon with what you're seeing I, I, actually I'm going to take I'm going to take a step back it's not even a part of Lovecraft horror, that is so much a part of horror, right? Any kind of horror. It's that idea of, like, these aren't ghosts. Maybe I actually moved this chair before bed and I forgot about it and and everything else. And so, like, these Randall and Emily are immediately met with, like, okay, we're doing this, but we're just going to deal with this. And we're going to, is this weird? Is it weird to say? Something's going on with Jane. We don't know what. It's not our place to say. Okay, now I'm really, I'm feeling really buzzed. Why is the music uh, affecting me in this way? Like, oh, now all of a sudden someone's disappeared. Someone went to go walk in the forest. Mitch is starting to get super angry at us that Jane's not here. That's awkward. Why is there fog everywhere? It's all these things of like, how much can you be in denial about the horror until you are truly faced with it? Even when they wake up in the morning and Jane already looks like a zombie and she's not talking to them and she's just staring out at the ocean and they're just like okay well cool probably hung out yeah it's a rough night long night a lot of fun though okay well we're going to go down to the beach and you know Randall himself is like reckoning with why do i feel so shitty why is there this pain in my stomach until he has to run in the house to deal with it and it's not really to that point where like in all horror that kind of like how much can i be in denial about hits a point of no return and in this movie, it's when Mitch just goes, yeah, 
I want to go for a swim. And he doesn't have a swimsuit on. He just has his shoes on still and his shirt. And he just walks straight until he starts swimming straight out. And to the point of like, oh, he's not safe. He can't come back from this. And he doesn't. And now Emily's sitting there watching this, shouting out to him. And like, oh, well, now things have passed a Rubicon. It's at a point of no return. Now I, I have to figure out how to handle the horror as the horror is now uh, beyond the point where there's really much you can do about it because you didn't you didn't take all those those weird signs and those things as the as the holy shit this is odd we need to get out now the entire neighborhood's filled with uh, zombie hunchbacks and and the fog is back and it seems like everyone else on the planet is aware that this is a catastrophe that is a uh, akin to a, a apocalypse. Yeah, and to jump on that really quickly, <clears throat> similar to Black Mountainside, um, but not similar to Color of Space, these characters having some sense of cosmos. One of the characters, Emily, having a sense of the of understanding about the scenario that, like, maybe it came from the ocean floor or something got disturbed. Maybe you know it was a global warming influence, like. Her sense of understanding doesn't actually help her in a practical sense. Yeah. Her sense of understanding just helps her um, in, in a sort of like, okay, this is like the grand chemistry going on, but like, how do I keep myself myself safe? Um, and that's what I love about it as a, a, as a piece of cosmic horror. Because, yeah. Because she she's not she's not just like a casual like if if randall had a different girlfriend up there the experience would be totally different but in a sense it would be entirely the same in the fact that like randall ultimately knows like well i need to get away from this like scary zombie lady and uh, can we talk about really quickly about what what that there's some mystery about how the sort of uh infection passes as well um yeah be- because there's a sort of like uh, in, uh, impregnation, incubation, infe- infection sort of uh, window um, that happens where um, he says, I blacked out for a second. And you can tell, like in a sort of hopeless sense, that Randall has been infected by Jane, who, who's, you know, further down the line than, than he is. Yeah. Um, and that it's just a, he's a ticking time bomb. Yeah, and there's a lot of that, too, because, like, Emily gets the thing in her, like, the steps on the slug, it kind of rips open her her foot, and then all of a sudden, like, and it's really good, because, like, uh, the way this is directed is perfect, and that even the horror is very, like, quick glimpse and, and cut away or close up, and you you, as an audience member, don't get the sense of the complete picture, which is, uh, which is why I probably described that. The zombie monster is like a looks like a manta ray that's ha- that has a top half of a human that's hatched out of a person's like back. But I also like I get ten seconds to to glimpse on everything that's happening in that moment, and then it cuts away. And I really like that because it leaves you with that idea of the unknown horror that you're not really getting a full sense of in the same way that Emily in that moment sees it and like tries to get away from it like she doesn't have enough time to grapple with what with what she's seeing but yeah i really love the the idea of like there's not like a queer clear way because it feels like well did, shouldn't have Emily got infested 
Did those things get into other people? What are what's with all the shells on the beach that disappear? Is that the you know we're talking about a microscopic fog that's infecting people, or maybe it's the goop in the water? But now there's shells lining the beach. Is that a and we have Mitch who clearly is infected go back to the beach at the end. Emily ends up at the back, um, like like she's at the beach and gets sucked back into the water. Like there's a lot of tantalizing components to this that feel like fuck i'm gonna say dark souls again peter it feels (laughs) like it does make a sense if you had some missing pieces that aren't there and so you can extrapolate and you can theorize like what all of it means but at the end of the day that actually fits both so well with um kind of lovecraftian style more where you get a monster described as it has a goat and a lion and an octopus and a, you know, a, 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 a moth. And in your head, you're like, okay, what the fuck does that look like? Right? You have some pieces in place, but you can't really necessarily put it all into view, which is one of the reasons that, like, Lovecraftian art is so fun, because you get these half-described things that some that a character is describing in a moment of terror while they're fleeing from it that has imagery that makes sense, but the puzzle pieces don't connect. Uh, or you can make them connect in some ways how you want. So I think even from, like, that, the style of this movie and the way it very very clearly articulates the the overall threat and the scale of the threat while not really making a, any sort of clear explanations around what what the threat means is is so goddamn good uh and that doesn't work if the if the things that it's giving you if the pieces it's giving you aren't interesting in and of themselves this is and it just it um it's it's fantastic and really really quickly um, I think that's that is different than Black Mountain Side. Like I feel like I have a better picture. While it's not like I'm not going to say it's canon or is not debatable, Black Mountain Side I do feel like okay, it's a it's a virus. It turns it's turning people into cephalopods, and ultimately it's this microscopic thing. Like I don't have that same map to <laughs> to what the fuck is going on in this movie necessarily, but it's not just weirdness for weirdness sake. Um, yeah, I think Black Mountain Side, um, there's a very delicate, it's, it's a little bit of art, a little bit of science. There's a delicacy to figuring out how much to show people. And this movie, I think, does, uh, you know, a little bit more than it needs to, but I'm not complaining, right? Like, Black um, Mountain Side does, or? uh, The Beach House. Uh, shows a little bit more than it needs to, but I'm not complaining, right? Like, um, we don't need to see those, uh, see, what did we decide on horseshoes? <laughs> um, no, what it actually just looks like is, um, maybe, is it oysters? Not oysters. Like, I used to have seashells that look like it, and I couldn't have told you what, like, sea But it looks like, or... it, it, but it's like cronenberg where it's all flesh instead of shell, right? Yeah, but I actually love that. I love that idea that, like, like, does this have anything to do with the transformation? Maybe not. Or maybe it's the idea of these things are the the humanoid beasts are coming from these after they infect someone. They, like, go out to sea and ha- – like, who knows? But I, 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 I love it because it is just, like, a good image that seemingly connects with the general ocean horror vibe without uh, really clearly articulating, like, what the shells mean in the grand scheme of how everything fell apart. Uh, fell apart so fucking quickly. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, and I, I love those little monster things, like all that, but like, um, the, the beach house shows us enough to actually like sort of paint it, like you were saying, paint us a, a little bit of a deeper picture of what's going on than, than just, you know, people going nuts or, you know, just zombies. Um, but it leaves that like beautiful mystery ratio. You were referencing Dark Souls. That's one of Dark Souls' greatest thing is Dark yeah. Souls captures that mystery ratio where you, you're like, I'm going towards this goal. This guy seems like an asshole. I should definitely kill him. Uh, I guess I'm like a zombie or something, so I might as well go kill him. Um, but like, there's this little beautiful, like, little one fifth uh, ratio or something, a one to five ratio or something that's just missing that your brain has to fill in the rest. Like, and like, that's what makes that's what makes good cosmic horror is yes, leaving that yes. just the perfect amount gone. One thing I love about the beach ho- about beach house even more than Black Mountain Sign is that they're just people going to a beach house, right? They are actually somewhat removed from the horror until the horror has like overwhelmed everything they're way too late to do anything right they're not the scientists that got the uh beep 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 something's going on in the ocean sir well can we stop it like they just were people that it all of a sudden happened to and then they had to deal with it and how is that not relatable right now <laughs> like how many things did we like well someone's gonna do something about it and then well i'm not gonna change too much here and then all of a sudden you're like locked down and trying to figure out how you're gonna get toilet paper and bread and then you're like okay well what do we do next like this kind of like relatable about how much do you want to ignore until it's too late thing is like super relatable <laughs> right now <laughs> because i do feel like uh even post um apocalyptic worldwide virus type stuff so many people have gone back to like well i'm gonna ignore it some more and just go about my life again because that is easier to deal with than uh having to completely alter what i'm doing and so when you watch a movie like this that's about four people just trying to have a dinner with other things going on in their life, a potential uh, breakup or uh, an illness or something like that, and then all of a sudden have to deal with uh, something well outside of that that they have no control over. How can you not watch that and go, well, that resonates a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like people trying to take care. Yeah, the the whole people trying to take care of each other, trying to take precautions. Her going down into the basement to get the oxygen tank and then running into another one of those beasts feels like me going out to the store to buy hand sanitizer and face (laughs) masks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go out. I'm going to I'm going to, you know, reduce my risk. I'm going to go get that thing that they told us to do. And then I'm like in a store and everyone's using their shirt to cover their mouth. And I'm like, I just need hand sanitizer. Just the last bottle of hand sanitizer, please. (laughs) Well, yeah. And even Emily is like she very quickly when she realized what's going on, like she doesn't try to save Jane. Right. Like she's like, well, Randall's my family, my immediate household. Yeah. So there's only like that's who I need to figure out this. Like Jane was very nice. But at the end of the day and like because we don't have a good like government program that's supposed to like take care care out of our take care of our society. Like what choice did you have? Like, well, I'm going to lock myself up in my house and I'm going to make sure my wife and my kids and my dog and my cat and my guinea pigs. We have too many animals in this house have have food and water and everything we need and like you know i'll i'll send some stuff to my parents so that they get uber eats instead of 
repeatedly wanting to go out to restaurants and like, but what else do you do? You just kind of sit there. You're, you're donating where you can or trying to figure out where you can help. But like, it's like, well, I can't do much right now, but just like huddle here with these people. <laughs> so like, so that, that feels real, really real too. Like the way that Emily makes a quick decision, like don't know Jane. Jane's going to have to fend for herself. Sorry, not my family. I can't help her. Who I can't help right now is Randall. I'm going to try to help Randall. And then once she gets to that point where she can't help Randall, she understandably is like, okay, well, now I can. I need to help myself. And that's why, like, I really do like Emily as a, as a protagonist just because she's very smart. She's very capable. You know, is constantly grappling with what's going on. But she has to make a bunch of, like, almost seemingly impossible decisions and she she makes them and she does her best and she she's not one of those people that would like be frustrating i think for you and me peter watching this movie that like is still crying at randall as like a hand bursts out of his chest and then she gets eaten you're like you dummy like run away she yeah. does all the right horror movie things at the exact right time but like well, without being pro- cold without being cold but like a lovecraftian uh protagonist it doesn't matter yes she can be as competent or as smart or as um engaging or any other words that you could use to describe her but like she's just a person yeah you can't you can't you can't stop a force the problem isn't that she hasn't taken uh bio 601 or whatever like that that's not the problem the problem she has a pretty decent understanding of what's going on at least as best as as people can um and then her survival instincts are very good last thing i'm saying because we do horror shit before we close out though uh i want to do one thing and then do your spooky horror shit um were you happy to see jake weber again uh, second time this year second time this year but we talked about in the dawn of the dead episode uh and i don't know i don't remember if it made it to air but you and i talked about like whatever happened to that guy i feel like we looked him up and and we're kind of like oh i guess he's done some tv stuff but like he's good i like him i'm surprised i never saw him in anything so when he when he showed up it was like oh mitch mitch you're doing okay uh, he's actually perfect in this role. He's so um, good. this certain sort of uh, d- d- not downbeat dog. What's the term? Um, uh, I don't know. Rain- <laughs> rainy, do- rainy dog. What's the um? Is sort of beaten down <laughs> guy. Sure, yeah, he's just a... He's kind uh, droopy of dog. In, he's got a sort droopy, of droopy yeah, he's, dog he's expression. He's kind of an intense, intense droopy dog is what I would call yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's he's seen some shit, but, like, ultimately he's, he's kind calm. of like... He's calm. He's, just trust me. I am calm. I am he's calm. Come to, he's come to peace like with, with the in, immense amount of pressures that have, have beaten him down in his life. Yeah. Um... And he is very, very good in this movie. There's a moment when uh, Emily is smoking and he is uh, shaming her for that. And he's really high. And his performance is absolutely perfectly calculated where he's like, oh, you're science and you're still fucking smoking cigarettes. But he's not doing it in like a condescending dickhead way. He's doing that in like a. You know, I'm the older guy and I'm asking you for like, you know, more of your sort of like uh, trippy science shit to like, you know, um, I- I'm having fun having this conversation with you. Like, but like, I'm going to turn on my dad mode a little bit here and like, 
Like, you shouldn't be sm- you shouldn't be smoking, but, you know, whatever, you're a kid, you're going to live your life. Like, he perfectly calibrates the moment where it's not condescending, but it's, like, he's also, like, he's doing the thing, that, like, the thing that, like, I do to my nieces and nephews or, like, you know, just any- anybody does when they're in, like, you know, a just one 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 sixteenth of a parental sort of or, or, or uh, you know, role model guide in someone's life where they're just, like... Or at least just like, I've been around the block a lot, and you're you're still smoking? Like, that is just a perfectly calibrated performance. And then the moment that he walks into the sea uh, is a moment that will live with me, I think, forever. Um, That is like a horror moment that, like, I I will not forget about. This guy loves dying by the ocean. He's a big ocean dyer. Um, The moment, so there's there's a scene where Mitch comes back, and then he says, essentially, like, I'm going to go for a swim. And then it's not in an ominous way. He's saying it sort of like, you know, a hungover person saying, I'm going to go get in the water. It'll make me feel better. Um, But instead of like swimming, he just takes off his shirt and just walks straight out in the ocean until he disappears. And it's just this sort of almost static shot. There's a few cutaways to Emily's horrified face. Um, Almost static shot of him just walking out in the sea until the black dot just disappears. And then a totally still shot of the sea. And it's, the scariest thing in the movie for sure also absolutely captures what cosmic horror is, which is just like your little machinations just absolutely disappearing into the will of the cosmos. Like the C is a very good uh, stand in for the cosmos. And then C, like, just like it's scary. Like the ocean's scary. The ocean is scary. Which is why James Cameron had to go save us from the ocean in his hit double documentary series uh, i kind of ran out of room with that sentence but <laughs> the two movies are aliens of the deep and ghost of the abyss and i gotta tell you they're scary th- scarier than anything that avatar has to throw nah, definitely scarier than the the, the the navi they fuck with their hair that's terrifying i can barely fuck with my penis <laughs> Because of the amount of time you spent in a submarine, the the pressure has hor- horrifically <laughs> affected your the blood flow to your penis. Uh, what was very confusing, I mean, I, I joke about it, but I did learn eventually that uh, the movie presupposes both people have hair fucking. You're not just supposed to put your penis into people's hair. Wait, what? Not supposed to put my yeah, penis in people's hair? I mean, you can if it's consensual, but like if someone's like, time to have the sex and you just like try to tie their ponytail around your dick it doesn't go well yeah i'm just i'm just realizing now I'm that like, no one has ever parts. enjoyed this uh any anyone i've had sex with since 2009 has not enjoyed me putting my dick in their hair i they've they've consented to it of course but they've just sort of been like yeah i, I guess i mean i only copy how i have sex from james cameron movies so before that it was all car sex uh, and before that it was all um Sex with Tom Arnold. Or are you going at a time machine back 40 years to have sex with um, with, with, with uh, somebody who's being pursued by a murderer? Uh, I tried to do... So you went. You actually went back and had sex with uh, I only had. I tried to have kids that would save the universe, and if they didn't do that, I, of course, uh, had them murdered by a robot. <laughs> That's so nice. That's so nice. Um, can we talk about a few more spooky moments before we close out? This movie is very much like 
spooky thing happens, which leads to another spooky thing. It's um, all ominous spookiness. Like I said, yeah. even the couple showing up is like, what's going on? There's a what moment where the ta- the tapeworm, she steps in the sea uh, to, to go see what Mitch is up to. Uh, drowning, I think, is what the answer is. Um, and she steps in uh, sea goo, which immediately starts burning her. She sees some of these, like, football things. Um, these conch shells, football things. Conch shell. I think that's good. Yeah. We should have got uh, there earlier. Conch balls. And, but, like, imagine uh, the threads on a football uh, are uh, a rib cage. Um, but she uh, steps in, in this gross pile of goo. It starts burning immediately. She has to crawl up this massive staircase up into uh, the beach house. Gets in the house, starts pouring uh, white vinegar on. Uh, she sees what it is, and it's the thing has somehow in seconds bored a clean hole through her yeah. foot and is wrapping in this sort of disgusting, like earworm. Sorry, this disgusting like tapeworm circle, and then sipping into her hole and in, into the hole, her hole. I mean, she it belongs to her. That she <laughs> has to operate on herself because Randall was fully fucked up and 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 passed out upstairs because he's been infected by Jane, and so she's calling out to him, and then she's like, "Fuck it, I'll take care of it." She dilute, she she sanitizes the wound. The whole thing gets in her, and then she has to yank it out with with um with a. Uh, not pliers, what's it called? Um, tongs. She she has to yank it out with tongs. And it's this whole gross, like, self-surgery sequence. But yeah. with a thing that, like, you're not totally sure what the rules are. Or really what its full shape is. Because, it, like I said, it, it does pretty extreme close-ups on that. So it was actually the second time watching it that I, like, fully understood. Like, it had kind of, like, she had stepped on a slug that had something come out of it. Like a... Yeah, like a like a giant tapeworm and like burrowed a, a perfect circle into her. Uh, it's 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 so well done because it is hard to like get a grasp of the specifics while still grasping the enormity of oh shit something's happened that's not great. Really yes. quickly, yes. Um, are there any other horror moments you want to talk on before we? Uh... No, I think I feel like we called most of them out. Like, uh, God, I just I love. I mean, everything about this is just the right amount of build. Everything feels like eerie or ominous until it gets like overwhelmingly so. It is just this like Shutter produced movie that uh, you know, and Shutter makes a lot of, or at least produces or releases, or you know, I don't know how the whole thing works, but there's a lot of Shutter originals, right? Whether they're buying them up or producing them from the start, and a lot of them are like three and a half, four stars, and uh, you know, some of them are pretty shitty. Uh, I don't feel like Shutter originals, besides like some some like Terrified and Satan slaves that were like buy ups, have really gone to like the. Uh, kind of masterpiece level or like fantastic horror movie level uh even though i love everything that shutter's doing so this really i feel like was a find for us this last spooktober by you specifically and hopefully will become a movie that a lot more people see and start talking about more and more yes i i uh i would love this filmmaking collective to do something totally different uh, but I would also love for them to just make another one of these. Um, well, yeah, this is their de- we didn't talk about that. That's their debut. Like this yes. is out of the gate. They had something really well formed here. 
Yes, and I'm very I'm I'm incredibly proud of uh of Shudder for like picking up movies like this and sharing them out with a broader broader group because like I think this is uh just the right audience for it and I think Shudder is is uh I mean we talked about it enough during October but like Shudder is well worth your money for movies like this. Yeah. Uh yeah, so that is the end of Lovecraft and other drugs. In this case, the other drug was inedible. Uh next month we are what's that, Peter? I feel a sense of deja vu. Are we doing the film Deja Vu? No, it didn't make the cut, but we're doing other Groundhog Day movies for February. Uh and that slate is um I forget the order that we're doing them, but it's Palm Springs Source Code and then the Endless Slash Resolution. Yeah, so we're gonna be doing uh sort of a uh Oh, what's a, the other a, a, what's the fourth one we're doing? Time crimes, time crimes. So the endless sort of uh, the endless slash uh, resolution uh, sort of is a crossover because it both counts as a Groundhog Day movie, but also uh, cosmic horror. So we're kind of doing a huge Lovecraft blowout uh, yeah. before we we hang up our we hang up our tentacles uh, for for uh, an indefinite period of time. We're not we're not going to do Lovecraft uh, for. Uh, for some time until uh, we can find enough movies Peter's, to just Peter's buy a Peter's kind of saying this from me because I was fine waiting one more January to do it. It's fine. If we get the movies that we're excited about, we will do Lovecraft, Peter. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. We just have Peter. to find We Peter, have to find the right calm ones. Calm down, Peter. Peter, don't be so angry. It's fine. I was never angry at you. Calm down. I wasn't angry, but I feel like it would be better for the bit of my, if I'm angry. Do you, do you want me to take a second to get really pissed? Yeah, I've never I've never seen you pissed except that one time that we were fighting about uh if the bonfire placement in the original Dark Souls was good. Uh oh yeah, I was freaking tick TO'd as H about you're that. You're like, I don't like boss runs, and I'm like, it it feels like you're at a home base. It's perfect, I said. Yeah, boss runs are bad. Actually, um, the crap episode is probably when uh, the closest I've ever heard to getting you mad. <laughs> uh wait yeah what was what was the one we did recently oh the night of the living dead i feel like you had trouble tracking where the bit was no i wasn't mad during that one i was just confused um it was uh 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 uh, uh we did one we did one recently where i was genuinely mad oh uh ash versus evil death you were mad not mad but like it sounds like i'm mad we, I, I think that was more a hyped up general disagreement that we were both game for. I don't think, I don't think that there's yeah, been a couple times where really it feels like mad. we're not operating at the same page. Yeah. But you'll notice. Yeah, I don't really no get mad about of- anything that's like not real. <laughs> I feel like that. I, I very few. I have uh, uh, very, very few um, uh, good qualities. But uh, yeah. one of them is that I tend to tend to reserve my anger yeah. for genuinely bad things. Unless you you dare to say that Santa snow globes are not part of Santa canon. But anyway. You um, stupid son of a bitch. You stupid. No, <laughs> what we're doing, yeah. We, uh, but the, if you're playing, this, uh, this will be 15 seconds. So hit the 15 second mark right when I say now, uh, which I have not said yet. Not that now. Future now that's coming. Uh, if you don't want to know anything about resolution and the endless now, uh, the reason we're doing both those movies as part of a time loop is that the time loop actually goes through both movies. So, 
we're really excited to do that one. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. Also one that I'm going to feel extremely stupid uh, while I'm recording it. Um, because I feel like Resolution is one of the few movies I'm like, this movie's smarter than me. Oh, I feel that way about The Endless. Actually, like, I'm... I'm I am uh, I'm five stars all the way for the endless in spring. I feel like Rev- Resolution is a good s- start, but I've also never watched Resolution after having the context of the endless, which I because I remember when that part happens in the endless, where you realize that that movie is part of this movie, like that was made whatever eight years separating them. I'm just like, okay, wait, holy shit! Yeah, what, and the fact that these watching? guys got like the original cast members back, like this, yeah. it's a lot. It's a lot. So I'm excited to watch both in uh, in n- knowing kind of some things, some more things about them. Um, but yeah, so very excited for next month. Uh, otherwise, yeah, uh, keep uh, keep on get, tr- having yourselves turn into Cthulhu Fatan. Cthulhu, bye bye. Cthulhu, bye bye. You must dive to the depths of the ocean I must float on top of the sea I will never hold it against you I know you always loved me Sailing there, sailing here Straight on out, banish fear I might lose you to the blue But that's my truth And that's your truth You must dive to the depths of the ocean I must float on top of Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> Uh, if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show, we truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron